and welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics that we live and breathe. I'm your host, Peter Cosmo, and today I'm joined by two of Euromonitor's best and brightest, Shane McGill, the Senior Industry Manager for Tobacco, and Spiros Malandrakis, Industry Manager for Alcoholic Drinks. Shane and Spiros, welcome back to the show. I know you've been here before. And yes. what a year! And what a year has it been, Peter? <laughs> I know, I know. Most of us are still um, at home, you know, not coming into the office. I'm actually in the office in Chicago, but there's uh, barely anybody here. I think there's four people in the office with me, so I'm feeling um, I'm feeling safe and socially distant from everyone. But it's nice to have a change of uh, scenery here. So, surprise, mom, peace. <laughs> hey, you know what? You said it, not me. This year of change is also perhaps the ideal year to discuss one of the most radical, controversial and interesting industries out there, which brings us to our you know, key point of conversation, like the last time, cannabis. Excellent segue, Spiros. A true pro. That's how it works. <laughs> well, you're both heavily involved in, in the uh, cannabis research at, here at Euromonitor. My, my first question really is, uh, why did Euromonitor... Uh, as a as a broad topic, and why did both of you, uh, you know, decide to start researching the industry? Yeah, so I, I think the story, I suppose, for us starts about four or five years ago now. Um, as you mentioned in your intro, we're each heavily involved in our legacy industries. So in my case, tobacco and nicotine, uh, in Spiros's case, alcoholic drinks. Uh, and we could see in each of our respective cases uh, cannabis legalization coming, um, the legal cannabis industry, um, you know, developing as a more prominent uh, presence uh, in each of those industries. And we wanted to try and investigate what the implications of that were for, for tobacco and alcoholic drinks. So we initially started looking at this. It was through the prism of, of those legacy industries uh, with an eye on disruption and how it was going to impact. You know, we started off writing briefings, you know, investigating uh, how this industry was developing. Uh, and as we went along, I think we got more invested in it, more involved in it uh, as an industry in its own right, and, and more convinced uh, of the potential of the legal cannabis industry. You know, that led us through speaking at conferences, you know, becoming, as I said, more involved um, within the industry. And we got to a point where we felt there was a need uh, and a demand from clients um, for you know, additional data, information on this space. Uh, and that's brought us to this point now where we're ready to launch um, cannabis as a passport industry in its own right. So we'll have syndicated data on the cannabis industry globally, which is quite exciting, I think. Uh, it is exciting. And I would, I would also add to that, that um, we have to stress it. I mean, I don't want to just uh, line my own laurels or anything, but uh, we were among the pioneers within the FMCG side of things, uh, acknowledging uh, the importance of the industry and its potential among the first analysts from our respective industries, both from nicotine and alcohol. And at the same time, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is an extremely exciting year in many ways, for better or worse. Um, but uh, when we first started discussing it three or four years ago, uh, that was still a very much, very much a niche issue. Um, many would not necessarily expect the industry to uh, continue growing in the pace that it has in the last couple of years. And most importantly, from my side, uh, from the alcoholic drink side of things, while initially it was getting quite a pushback three or four years ago when I started writing about this, um, the potential cross-pollination of the industries, the potential um, uh, symbiotic relationship they can have. Uh, back then, it was just a lone voice in the desert. Not many would uh, acknowledge it. 
Um, and obviously, as we, as most most of our listeners most likely are aware now, um, in the meantime, since then, we have Constellation massively entering the uh, the realms of cannabis. We have ABI entering. We have Molson Cools with collaborations with Hexo. Um, and we also know that essentially the vast majority of alcohol players are now actively either collaborating, researching and developing within the industry, or at the very least, uh, looking with very keen and uh, hopeful eyes towards the potential of the great green rush. Yeah, you said something interesting back there, which I, I do want to get into a little bit further uh, later on about you know how this year in particular is is uh, a big year for the industry. Um, but before we kind of go into to um, the politics and the details behind it, uh, I just want to take a step back and ask how you go about researching the industry um, to get it ready for something like Passport. So when I, I think when we came to look at this, when when, when Spiris and I sat down and sat down with our manager uh, Zora to think about how to kind of represent the modern legal cannabis industry, you know, we very quickly came to sort of two conclusions and had two convictions about the industry. And one of those was that this is an international opportunity, um, and that the system and the data, uh, the data set that we produce has to, you know, reflect that international opportunity. You know, obviously. Um, I think everyone is very familiar that currently the center of the industry is in North America. That's the engine that's driving the expansion uh, of the legal cannabis opportunity. But both of us are are very much of the of the opinion that this is something that will impact and has resonance um, and will be meaningful uh, as a global industry. So we wanted to very much reflect that in the data set. So that's I think reflecting the fact that we're producing data on 20 markets, amongst which are are Canada and the US. Um, but also kind of Europe, Latin America, as far afield as, as Australia, that, that will be producing data on. So that was one pillar. And the other one was this idea that, you know, given the the state of maturity of the industry, um, the fact that different parts of the world are very much at different stages of development, uh, and that even in terms of cannabis use and consumption, um, the nature of that looks very, very different in every in every market effectively that we're covering. Certainly the market sizing data is a part of that and we will have you know, data on medical, adult use, CBD, you know, by format in those 20 markets. Um, we're legal, we're also you know, producing estimates of illicit use and so on. That's just one of the, the pillars within the system. The other is pricing data. So again, in those 20 markets, we'll be looking at what products are available, what price those are uh, and be able to look at you know, consumer preference through that company and corporate presence, etc. And then also a survey. So we completed a survey in each of those 20 markets. Uh, in the US, in fact, we did two. Uh, <laughs> people often talk about the US as a divided nation, uh, and uh, we did the same in, in the cannabis system. So we uh, we did one survey in those states where cannabis is recreationally legal and one in, in the states where it's still illegal. So 21 surveys in total, which allow us to kind of dig dig beneath the data, I think, and look at how many people are using different types of cannabis product and, and cannabinoid product, but also why, what occasions are they using on, what might persuade people to use in future, what are their attitudes to cannabis products and so on. So, you know, it was it was those convictions that it was an international opportunity and that and that it was something that we needed to represent in its totality that, that drove us. You know, then beyond that, that meant bringing in different functions within Euromonitor, our survey colleagues, 
um, our scraping experts, um, the the country research teams, and myself. We had twenty, you know, really excellent researchers working on these at a market level to to pull all the data together. And we think that the package we have is a very kind of holistic representation of of the industry, uh, and something which is rapidly developing and touches on lots of different areas of um, of people's lives. But I would add to that, and I think uh, Shane actually covered all the key points of uh, the proposition that Euromonte will come out within the next month or so uh, as, as the changes are happening and the, um, the cannabis legalization movements will probably be gaining further traction in the next couple of months, uh, much more potentially. Um, I think the key thing to remember from my side is that uh, there is this misunderstanding sometimes when people discuss cannabis, thinking of it um, with a bit of a grin and a smile. And, but I think <laughs> What we realized after the last three or four years and um, getting to know the evolution of the cannabis proposition, especially in Canada and the US, which are leading the pack when it comes to developments, innovation and legislation as well. Um, and, and especially when we're discussing products within the cannabis 2.0 segments, um, much more advanced, talking about beverages, talking about new forms of uh, vapor, uh, all the next generation of edibles uh, and the next generation of consumers and uh, key demographics. Looking at through all that, you realize that cannabis is just another FMCG industry. And I think it was about time some FMCG experts like us could actually discuss this within the context of our knowledge from adjacent segments and categories and without the, the blinkers or, or the, the stereotypes that could potentially have created some uh, strategies that did not necessarily work for the cannabis segment over the last couple of years. So we do think that the coverage provides information and insights that is not out there yet, but also that we can take this conversation a couple of steps further than it, where it already is. You both kind of touched on this in what you said, but you know, cannabis is, is historically, um, it's a polarizing topic. So I'm curious on in your research, how you've came across different societies' views on the legalization and the acceptance of it. I mean, I think from my point of view, uh, you know, those two words you use there are very interesting because there's one part of this which is legalization and there's the other part which is acceptance. And I think those are in perhaps quite different places uh, and, and do vary across markets. I think from a purely legalization perspective, I think this is one of the issues really and, and from the four or five years I've been looking at this, where actually the people are ahead of the, the the politics on this a little bit. In country after country, you see support for legalization um, at you know high levels in a lot of markets, surprisingly high, perhaps in some, and increasing um, now. That support for legalization can come from different places. It can be very pragmatic. It can people uh, be people who are recognizing. Um, you know, that the, the war on drugs, so to speak, has been lost and, and, and are looking for a different approach. You know, it can be people who are pragmatically saying, OK, let's let's tax and control this and, and take the revenue from it. But I think, you know, in the in the surveys we did, we were asking questions directly of, of total population. So the general public uh, on these areas about their their attitudes, this kind of thing. And, you know, across the 20 markets that we did the surveys in, more than half um, of respondents believe, for example, that. Um, cannabis legalization for cannabis legalization will be economically beneficial to their country. So again, you can kind of see that 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 narrative has already been won in some ways that you know people are beginning to to really favor legalization as a pragmatic policy approach. We also ask questions about when people can foresee legalization happening and only a third of people, only a third of respondents 
uh, reply that they can't see legalization happening in their market in their lifetimes, that they can never foresee it happening. And the implication of that obviously is that two thirds of people um, actually believe that cannabis will be legalized or that they will live to see the day when cannabis is legalized in their market, which I think is quite a startling figure really and, and kind of cuts against this idea that there, there, there's a huge groundswell of opposition to cannabis legalization so i mean you're almost getting to the point now where in a very you use the word polarized you know it is a very polarized world or at least we, we sort of think we're living through polarized times that actually that cannabis legalization is one of the is one of the things that we're all beginning to agree on in some ways that this is the, the way forward so i think that's the the legalization aspect of it I would take the legalization conversation a step further and uh, use it as a, I think, I think, first of all, I need to clarify that uh, I would definitely expect us to make some headlines in the next couple of weeks. As Shane mentioned, some of the data that we have in the surveys uh, showing the almost wholesale acceptance um, and, and barely any, any uh, massive pushback that people claim could potentially happen um, is not really there. But I think taking it further, I've had many questions from many FMCG players, from uh, alcoholic drinks to confectionery manufacturers to uh, uh, beauty and personal care manufacturers, producers to uh, pet care and beyond, um, that would ask me in the last couple of years, Spiros, do you think there would be a potential pushback or a backlash from our core consumer demographics if we were to enter this category? And I believe beyond the legalization, which I think it's inevitable to happen um, at some point within the next couple of months and, and years, there is not really any danger for the FMCG players to actually enter this category. And I think this is a key thing uh, that also ties into with everything else we mentioned earlier about this industry becoming like any other FMCG industry. And the lens we have to look through uh, to understand it should not be through this kind of uh, green uh, shaded uh, glasses of the 70s, but rather proper uh, macroeconomic uh, inputs, uh, real insights, branding uh, expertise, and an understanding that it's an industry that really changed the world in many ways in the years to come. I mean, I completely agree with that in terms of the end point. Uh, I do think, I do think Spiros is glossing over a little bit, you know, some of the hard work that will need to be done in the meantime in terms of educating the population. And, you know, just to go back to that distinction between and without wanting to get kind of too meta on a, on a gloomy Tuesday afternoon, you know, social acceptability <laughs> is kind of a relative construct and it means different things in different parts of the world. And, there, there will be people who are in favor, like I said, pragmatically of, of cannabis legalization, but who would be still very much opposed to cannabis use. You know, you will often hear people saying, well, you know, I think people should be allowed to do what they want. But if my child or my son or daughter was using this, you know, I'd be very upset, etc. So I think there is still, you know, some work to be done in terms of educating people beyond just the pragmatic acceptance that this is something that you know, is better legal than not, we need to get to the next stage of this, which is, you know, people's understanding that, that cannabis is, is A, not generally harmful. Um, although, you know, again, there, there may be issues around using it at a young age and all that sort of thing. You know, these kind of things are normal in terms of other substances that we also have in society. But, you know, that it's not generally harmful, that it can be very therapeutic in certain conditions, you know, in certain cases and so on. So there is still a little bit of road to be run, even in a market like North America, where, you know, there's a lot of familiarity with cannabis in general, but also globally as well. But I'm ultimately, 
I'm as optimistic as Spiros is that we will get to a place where you know the vast majority of people recognize cannabis as something that is broadly beneficial um, and that has a part in a in a modern you know has a part to play in a modern society for those people who choose to use it. I think the key word here then uh, legalization is one part of the, of the equation. The other part is normalization, and I believe that the process of normalization is already happening around us. And I think that's that's what provides the certain degree of optimism, even to someone like me, who I'm not, you know, so well known for my optimistic views when it comes to developments. But yeah, I think that that's that's the key. The key word is normalization. Well, my next question is: as we move into an era of normalization for cannabis. I'm curious to hear what kind of innovations you're seeing in the industry, especially in FMCG companies. I mean, obviously, my my particular lens or perspective comes from the alcohol side of things. So perhaps explaining why I'm uh, less hesitant to embrace uh, recreational use or adult use, whatever we decide to call it, um, since alcohol was never really shy from um, uh, shying away from entertainment or recreation in any way. Um, that explains my my vantage point, perhaps. In terms of innovation, I think that uh, the, the beverage side of things has been particularly interesting for me, mostly because of consuming um, beverages will have an effect within 15 to 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, instead of one or two, two hours, something that historically, as you can imagine, was not extremely helpful for social occasions. That development has been particularly interesting. And we can mention a couple of examples of products that are leading the way on that front. And at the same time, I think I'm particularly excited about the cross-pollination initiatives when it comes to different flower cultivars. I'm particularly excited about the rise of concepts like terroir, again, coming from alcoholic drinks, uh, specific geographic identification initiatives that will inevitably soon create something like the champagne of cannabis or the cognac of cannabis. And at the same time, I must say that I am a bit uh, increasingly more cynical when it comes to products, particularly, unfortunately, within the CBD segments that seem to uh, just jump on, on the bandwagon, trying to capitalize on, on the fad, not containing the quantities of CBD or other cannabinoids that they claim to be, and potentially devaluing the entire uh, category in the process. So I think uh, it's not just about the positive developments, it's not just about the excitement and the dynamism of the category, but it's also about the downside risks of, of just doing it for the sake of doing it. So you're seeing products where maybe there's such a low content of CBD that it, it doesn't even really matter? Well, we're seeing products like, for example, uh, CBD-infused uh, pillowcases or tights. And I think that's where someone should draw the line. It always reminds me of the days when I I came across the English breakfast-flavored vodka about a decade ago. And that was the moment I decided that the flavored vodka trend was about to end. <laughs> There's always indicators showcasing how a category or a fad or a trend can actually be jumping the shark. And I think uh, while I always have been particularly supportive of radical innovation, and I think it's essential to move industries and categories forward, at the same time, these developments have to be critically assessed. They're not all going to work. And in some cases, as I said earlier, they can even devalue the entire category they're supposed to be championing. Yeah, so I mean, I think isn't the point here, though, that there's nothing radical about just taking two different objects like CBD and a pillow and mashing them together, which is, you know, a lot of what passes for new product development in the CBD space. And I think, you know, we, we talk about the green rush and use that analogy. And one of the most pertinent aspects of that analogy to something like the gold rush is the idea that there are effectively people who are involved in this who just see an opportunity to make a, a quick book 
and whose kind of intentions are not wholesome, if I can put it that way, and whose activities in the space are not really well thought through. I mean, in terms of innovation, there are a couple of things that interest me specifically about the cannabis industry. It's one that where there's you know a big focus on technology, uh, and I think that's going to be more and more interesting as we move forward to see um, the use of technology in developing products. But what really interests me in terms of innovation here is the extracted products, the infused products, um, you know, and, and maybe that's coming from an industry where we in tobacco nicotine, where we have seen this shift from kind of, you know, organic combustible um, tobacco leaf products in the, in the form of the cigarette into something like an extracted nicotine product, like an, an e-vapor product and looking at, you know, not just the reduction in risk. Uh, there, but also how that process of moving from an organic product into an extractive product can actually add value for the consumer, you know, can add flavoring, increase control in terms of potency. Uh, and I think that's something that we're going to see a lot more of in future in the industry is this idea of innovation being being centered around people's ability to control the cannabis consumption experience. And that's important, I think, from two angles. One is from the consumer angle, we will have new entrants to this category who are a little bit circumspect about using cannabis, you know, who have been exposed to stereotypes and so on about cannabis use and any product that can kind of reassure them about uh, having control over the experience and being able to kind of titrate that experience and all that sort of thing, I think will be very valuable in terms of, of innovation. And then the other the other aspect of this is the or word. It's one that, that Spiros hates me to mention, but is regulation. Uh, and for better or worse, you know, particularly when you move outside North America, the cannabis industry is is going to be one that will be very, very heavily regulated, certainly at least initially, and certainly at least for the first number of decades of its existence, it's going to be a very heavily regulated industry. Um, and we were talking the other day, again, uh, having our perennial ongoing kind of debate about what <laughs> nature, what, what form regulations will take, but in innovation that can fulfill a regulatory appetite to be able to control an experience to reassure on things like potency and so on you know we'll have a better chance of complying with regulation and will be fostered by regulations internationally so that kind of extracted infused controlled innovation i think is interesting and will become important uh, we're also seeing a lot of interest and activity in the area of synthetic cannabinoids so you know being able to develop um, certain cannabinoids uh, in laboratory or factory settings and not having to, to grow at all. You know, interesting from the point of view of, of cost, again, control, being able to develop more of, of these low expression cannabinoids that don't occur naturally in, in high quantities, um, etc. So, I mean, you know, from the point of view of innovation, I think we're, we're just really scratching the surface at the moment within the industry. And I think we are going to see um, a range of different formats and newer products coming on in the next few years, particularly as regulation becomes clearer and FMCG companies are, you know, feel reassured and being able to, to invest in this area. One thing I wanted to bring up, um, which we touched on at the very, very beginning of, of the uh, podcast was uh, the coronavirus and how that might be impacting the industry. You know, we have a lot of people sitting at home in lockdown and quarantine, um, at the time of recording this in the U.S., the election is uh, about a week away, and that's adding a lot of stress to people's lives. I have to imagine that the cannabis industry might be benefiting from, from this, so I'm, I'm interested to hear more about that. And you would be right. Um, uh, first of all, one key thing to remember over the last couple of months, um, uh, dispensaries 
were deemed to be essential services. I cannot understate the importance of that, even in the context of massive lockdowns across the world uh, and in North America. The, most dispensaries were allowed to continue being open, at the very least to allow for curbside pickup um, or delivery, underscoring, as I said earlier, the the acknowledgement, finally, after all these years, that this is an essential service. And I think there's a symbolic element to that that we cannot understate. On the second part of your question, your assumption is uh, absolutely correct. And again, highlights the, um, the fact that most people do uh, associate cannabis consumption with relaxation or fighting stress, which is what comes out from our own our own survey data as well. I was, I was just going through it through them with uh, Shane just earlier. Um, and relaxation or fighting stress tends to be one of the key um, occasions or uh, need states that lead to cannabis consumption. The first anecdotal information that we have showcases spikes both in Canada and in the US legal states um, pre-lockdown and during the lockdown. I would expect that to continue being elevated as we go through these apocalyptic times. And to finish off, I would say that um, uh, because you mentioned uh, the stressful events of the upcoming uh, U.S. election, I would would add to that that, yes, it is a very stressful event for a number of reasons, I'm sure, beyond cannabis. uh, But at the same time, it can potentially be uh, the key infection point that uh, leads to um, federal legalization within the next year. Shane can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that at least within the industry itself in the U.S. at the moment, the, the discussion is that the Biden wins, uh, and especially the Democrat um, sweep or a landslide, would most likely translate into federal legalization within a year, uh, so within 2021, which, of course, would start the domino effect across the planet. And then next year, when we have this conversation, suddenly uh, this will actually be a massive uh, multi-billion global industry at that point. Um, so a lot of stressful but exciting things to come in the next few months and a year. Yeah, no pressure on the US voters there. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, that's correct uh, as as one end of a, of a range of possibilities. I mean, I, I would be careful not to kind of overemphasize. I think a lot, a lot of things need to go right, not just, um, you know, a, a Biden presidential win, but also the Senate being in place and, and so on and so forth. And and for there to be no other priorities, um, but I, you know, I do think that's that's possible, um, and it also just plays into a wider sense of, of movement in this area. I mean, to go back to the coronavirus issue as well. I mean, one of the other things we should mention is just about the effect it's having on formats and coming out of the innovation question as well. We've seen a huge increase in demand for things like edible formats. Also, we'll be playing through into things like beverages when you know more and more reliable beverage products come on stream as well, but. The effect of the pandemic, um, you know, this issue of it being a respiratory illness and so on is certainly going to, I think, have a, an, an impact over the longer term. And there is also a generational shift here as well. Again, it's one that I see in tobacco and nicotine, a generational shift in terms of um, people's movement away from in combustible, uh, particularly, but also in a broader sense, inhalable products. And I think we're going to see that um, in the cannabis space as well. You know. There's been a certain amount of resilience of, of I think, formats like Flower um, up until now. Um, but I do think it's it's quite possible that inhalable formats will suffer, um, you know, quite a, a change in preference over the, the next number of years as the industry evolves. And I think, a, you know, a, a, a non-trivial part of that will be due to the effect of the pandemic. So the last question I I had for you, which is probably one of my favorite parts of of doing this podcast, is uh, 
I, I want to know what the most interesting product that you've both come across um, is while you've been researching cannabis. I know there we talked a little bit about you know CBD infused pillows, so um, I'm interested to to hear what else is out out there. I think I mean for, <laughs> from my perspective, I mean yeah, exactly as you say, we, we've seen some kind of all manner of wild and wonderful types of products over the last few years when we've been we've been researching. I think I would say that 99. Point nine of them um, are are either you know a bad idea, <laughs> <laughs> poorly executed, uh, ill conceived, or some kind of combination of all of those things. So I think you know there's still a lot of work that needs to happen in terms of um, the quality of product uh, in the legal industry. I mean, it, you know, not not to be sort of too po faced about it. I guess there are two that I would highlight. Um, you know, particularly that I've come across. That are just, I think, representative of sort of the best of the industry, and the two very different products. One is is a, a period care product uh, that's from here in the UK. Uh, the brand is called Day, uh, and those are the, the primary product there, C- CBD infused tampons. And I think what's what's interesting about that particular brand and that particular product, uh, and that sets it apart, is that the the use of CBD there is is entirely appropriate. It has a you know it has the the, the prospect of actually doing something um, and and having a beneficial effect. It's addressing a specific issue as well. So it's not just kind of putting CBD into something and sort of hoping for the best or asking the consumer to find a use for it. You know, there's a very clear kind of use case there. And also the way the company has gone about kind of engaging with health authorities, with regulatory authorities and so on, I think is an example to the rest of the industry. And, you know, the, the branding itself is is very empathetic and um, in tune with its consumer base and, and all that sort of thing. So I think that's a particularly good example kind of on the other end of the spectrum in terms of use case but equally sort of notable and excellent in terms of a modern cannabis brand is a is a u.s brand called old pal um which is an adult use recreational cannabis brand um traditionally or has been a flower brand although recently they have started releasing vapor cartridges as well but just kind of encapsulates the best of you know building on the heritage of cannabis use leveraging that in the right way to build um, emotional equity but also kind of looking forward and being a forward-looking modern mainstream cannabis brand so you know of all the you know all the brands that are that are currently around in the u.s you know i think old pal has has one of the uh, the best brand propositions sort of as i said represents the best of the industry and i hope it sticks around for a long time i think i think um to continue in the context of Shane's uh, thought processes, uh, one of the and I agree with uh, with um, at the very least with uh, Old Pal, it, it it does provide this sense of authenticity and craftsmanship, and I think authenticity of craftsmanship are two concepts that have been um, the key drivers for the alcohol industry and beyond over the last decade. And I'm taking this pass to to mention my favorite product and just launched a couple of weeks ago, more or less uh, reconfirming everything we have been saying uh, for the last half an hour. And that's Pub's Blue Ribbon non-alcoholic cannabis-infused, THC-infused uh, hard uh, seltzer. Not so hard because essentially it doesn't have alcohol, but hard in the sense it does have THC. Now, Pub's Blue Ribbon in the U.S. is one of the most iconic brands. It has been um, historically connected with working-class uh, demographics that are passionate about it, then moved into a, what we could call a hipster or millennial demographic that also embraced it. Uh, very affordable, very authentic to its roots and its proposition. Making the jump into THC infusions uh, highlights all the key points about the cross-pollination between industries, about the cannabis industry being seen or should be seen as an FFCG category, after all. Um, 
and also the even even to the extent of combining the the the, the seismic effects of uh, the hard seltzer trend in the U.S., which is literally changing the, the the landscape of alcohol drink consumption in the country, with THC infusions as well, without any shame or without any uh, taboos or without any backlash for the reasons we also explained earlier. Everyone is extremely excited, and I've only seen positive reviews that will also benefit the halo and will create a halo effect for the core PBR proposition. And I think that's that would be my uh, suggestion for now. Although. Uh, there is more coming every day, and uh, we wouldn't also want to give everything away. Otherwise, what would happen to the great conversations that we're about to have with all the clients? I was not aware of the uh, PBR-infused THC seltzer, so I'm going to have to look that up after this podcast. Please do, and send us the reviews. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Well, I don't know if you if, if you guys have any closing thoughts, um, but I'm sure you're both working hard, and it's it's going to be interesting to see for for as long as coronavirus drags on how how the industry is going to adapt and roll with people's you know anxiety and this kind of indefinite lockdown we're in. You know, I would just like to end with a, a bit of a more positive thought in that sense. Yeah, and that would be that uh, the prohibition in the U.S. ended after the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to to end with this uh, positive on this positive note. Uh, with a potential suggestion that, you know, history does not repeat, but it does rhyme sometimes. That's the first time I've ever heard you uh, quoting Irish poetry, Spiros. I mean, I I entirely agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, if we even just broadening out from the US, if we look globally, these are, this is a seismic time for the for the world as a whole Uh, and i think cannabis is the perfect substance this is the perfect industry um in the right time um to to kind of guide people through these choppy waters and into the the new normal whatever that might be um so you know i'm also very very optimistic about the future of of this industry in all its guises uh, across all of the different regions of the world well, Shane Spiros, it's been a pleasure as always. I want to thank our listeners for tuning into this episode of Behind the Data. Remember, you can find other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or simply by going to our blog at blog.euromonitor.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.